Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technology. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Meeklejohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today we have with us Dr. Paula Doyle, founder and CEO of Endoglobe. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Amazing. We are delighted to have you. Uh, you were part of the recent 200K challenge earlier this year. Uh, did fantastically well. We're a prize winner awarded by J&J. Uh, and we're super excited to tell the story and share the story of Endoglow. So let's kick things off. Please tell us a little bit more about your story, the problem you're looking to solve. Yeah, sure. So by training, I am a reconstructive pelvic surgeon. I'm at the University of Rochester. And the problem that I'm trying to solve is probably the problem that most surgeons are looking at, and that is surgical complications. Depending on what resource you look at, it happens to one in four to one in 10 surgeries has a complication. And the way industry has solved that problem or is looking to solve that problem is with better imaging. I mean, I think we can all agree that if a surgeon can see better, there's going to be fewer complications and fewer mistakes. So that is in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is make visualization easier and better for the surgeon. And industry's doing it with cameras. We're doing it with instruments. Well, can you tell us more about the, the instrument and that solution, how it works? Yeah, sure. So. Um, I'm sure you guys have all heard of like robotic surgery, minimally invasive surgery. So these are really, really good surgical systems. And they have all sorts of features like high def, 3D, chroma. And they also have a feature called near infrared. And near infrared is pretty ubiquitous in the OR. And the, what's special about near infrared imaging is it allows the surgeon to see through tissue, see through blood. So you can imagine if you were operating and you had a bloody operative field, how important it would be to be able to see through the blood and the fat to get to the important anatomy. So like I said, the surgical systems are awesome and they've really developed quickly over the last few years. But what has not developed quickly is our surgical instruments. I mean, we're operating with tools straight out of the 1800s no change at all. <laughs> and so that's what we're trying to change is to upgrade those, those antiquated tools and to make them more helpful. This is and awesome. It, it looks like there's the green egg technology and that, that product there we, we noticed. Can you tell us more about that specific product and, and really how, how it works? Yeah. So what I'm going to tell you about is the polymer that the green egg is made out of. So it's the polymer that's really important because it's just medical grade plastic, but it fluoresces under near infrared imaging. And you can injection mold this plastic into any shape that you want it. And I told you I was a pelvic surgeon. And so I operate in the pelvis a lot and I use a manipulator to move organs around and things like that. And we designed the green egg off of the traditional manipulator that we normally use. 
And the, the traditional manipulator is looks like the green egg. So it's about it's a it's a steel shaft that's maybe 12 inches long. And then it has an egg shaped head to it. And the tra traditional manipulator is just all steel. It's just like I wasn't joking when I said it was right out of the 1800s. It's just all steel. And you put it into an orifice, either the vagina or the rectum, in order to move the organs left, right, up, down. So what we've done is just make it fluoresce under the near infrared component of the surgical systems. So now you can see through the tissue. So ultimately, you kind of took this technology that really already existed today and you enhanced it through that fluorescent technology, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Exactly. It's, it sounds like it's great because it's, you know, some of like the most exciting innovations, you know, Richard, I, I know we've seen a lot through the impact program, but it's always like, you know, these like simple enhancements, improvements. And when I say simple, I always do this, right? The air quotations, because nothing's ever really simple in the world of medical device. But I mean, it's just, it, it seems like that, that logical, you know, um, innovation in that space, right? It is. I mean, it's like putting wheels on a suitcase. Could you imagine we used to walk around airports without wheels on our suitcases? <laughs> so that's how I feel about this is I, we're going to be looking back being like, can you imagine we used to operate when our instruments didn't do anything for us to help us see? <laughs> so it is, simple, but in a really, I think, elegant way. And like you said, our lead product is the uh, green egg. And that is for selfish reasons, I must admit, because I wanted a manipulator that I could personally use and that would make my surgeries better and, of course, help my patients. We're all in this to help the patients. Yeah, and I think you have this amazing video on your website actually demonstrating the product in action. And it's so cool actually seeing the difference it makes. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that benefit to you doing that procedure because you know there's one thing people always aren't necessarily aware about is around anatomical variation but you're dealing with scar tissue and you're dealing with these different like depths of tissue doing a really technical procedure so how is this helping you do that so it helps in so many ways ways that i didn't even expect for it to help um yeah so surgeries in general are becoming more complicated one is because our patient population is aging, right? Every, our population is just getting older. Our population is also getting more obese, which makes surgeries harder. And also people are having more surgeries per a lifetime than were before. Average during a lifetime is nine surgeries, which is huge. I think that's huge. Each time you go in, it's more complicated. The anatomy is not where it used to be there's scar tissue, there's inflammation. And so it's not like the textbooks, you know, you go through medical school and they're like, they color code it and it looks very much like color by number. And then you actually start operating and it looks nothing like that at all. And so part of what I wanted to do was make the anatomy more accessible to anybody as far as surgery and looking at it. Yeah, so we've done um, some pilot studies, quite a few pilot studies. And these are some of the unexpected outcomes that we had from the pilot study. The main goal of the pilot study was like, does this thing glow? Does it fluoresce? Yes, it does. Okay. 
What we didn't expect was we could see subsurface pathology, like endometriosis, for example. We could see that in the near infrared space or vision where you couldn't see it with the naked eye. Like if you look at your hand, you can just see the skin and maybe a little bit underneath it. With near infrared, you can see a centimeter down below the surface. So if you had, say, endometriosis that was in the rectum, but you can't see it with the naked eye, you could turn the near infrared on in that transillumination or the backlighting from the green egg. You'd be like, oh, that shouldn't be there. That's not normal. And then you can investigate it further. So that's one thing we didn't expect. The other thing we didn't expect was getting to see the surgical planes. Um, and what I mean by that is just like millimeter differences of the different type of, of anatomy that we didn't expect. The other thing we didn't expect was improved communication within the OR. Um, we had surgical assists that were like, I finally know what the surgeon's talking about for the first time ever. <laughs> so when he says go here or go there, he's like, oh, I finally get it, you know? What so a difference. I was going to say, just for anyone who's interested in learning, I th again, I think that video you have on the website, endoglow.com, go and check it out. It's so cool because all the things you just described there, you perfectly visualize in that video. Yeah, I know this is a podcast and our device is very visual. <laughs> so um, I think a video is worth a thousand words, really. But sure, I'm excited about the technology because it's almost endless what you can do with it. It, you know, Richard, too, and I, I kind of want to chime in real quick because what, what's so awesome, too, is, again, with the impact program and all these technologies that you see, it's so fun when you meet a doctor, right, that's the who, who comes up with this idea because they're they're in the field, they're performing these procedures, to your point, every day, but still, a, a doctor isn't an engineer, right? So when you came up with this idea, you know, how did you go about you know, bringing together the right people with the right capabilities and skill sets, right? To, to even develop this, like, where did you start? Um, luckily I'm at a university. <laughs> so I'm at the university of Rochester and I do a lot of research there. And I was just coming out of a surgery that was really, really difficult. Um, and so I was late getting to my research meeting and I was all fired up. And of course, I'm spouting all this off <laughs> and the researchers are listening to me and they're like, you know what, we can we can do this like we can help you. We can fix this. We can create something that will allow you to see easier, see better and still optimize the technology you have available to you in the OR. And so that's really how it was born. And then um, we made some really rough prototypes and we got the biomedical engineering department involved and um, it just kind of spiraled out of out of that. But you're right, like there was no market analysis to determine if this was the correct lead device or any of that stuff. It just sort of happened. And you've, and I guess being a university, you've been able to tap into their resources. Um, so has that been through grant funding so far? Or are you now looking for private investment? What's the funding position been to date? Oh, okay. You always need money. It seems like we always need money. <laughs> but just to step back, yes, it was born. This idea was born in the university. 
And then I filed a patent because I was going to present it at a national meeting. And the university's like, you know, time out. You can't go present this at a national meeting until we have protection around the IP. And so we filed um, a patent and then they gave me the right of first refusal. So they said, you can either license this yourself or you can, we're going to shop it around. And that's the first time it ever occurred to me to make this into a, a business. And then so that's when I, you know, got a business, did the licensing agreement with the university, and I joined some incubators. And it was through the incubators that I met up with my first um, angel investors and also partners. And they have made the biggest difference of anything because they brought in the initial capital, but they also brought in the expertise to make Endoglow an actual company. You know, it was no longer just me and a patent and an idea. It, they made it into a company that could function and go forward. And that's where it really all started. And Kyle, that's just a, such a great point. I want to highlight that Paula made there about being very capable as a researcher or an early founder about what you say in the public domain before you get your IP. Because again, that's, you know, it's a real uh, careful area you need to manage that you don't potentially trip up that IP protection in future. That's right. Yeah, no doubt. And what about, Paula, the regulatory kind of side of this? Did you experience, were there any kind of hurdles that you had to overcome from a regulatory standpoint um, when bringing Endoglow's technology to market? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> nothing completely out of left field, nothing crazy, but um, our device is heavy. Like if you look at it and feel it, it's steel. It's a good quality medical device. And so the biggest hurdle that we had was with packaging, because, you know, when the FDA, you have to do the package testing where they you put it in a box and then they shake it and they slam it on the floor a few times. And but it still has to maintain a sterile barrier where our device was, like I said, good quality, heavy. It was like a torpedo shooting out the end of it. So we really had to refine our packaging, bulk up our packaging, add some padding so it would stay and maintain its sterility you know, when it's delivered by UPS or something like that. Sure. Especially when they're stacked, maybe in a, in a pallet, right. On top of each other too, um, in transit from, you know, your manufacturing to storage or what have you. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And now is your device then single use or is it reusable? Yep. It's, no, single it's use. a single use. It's a okay. single use device. Um, it, we sell the units already sterile, ready to go onto the OR field. Mm -hmm. um, we did that mainly because of the fluorescence. I mean, the whole thing that we're basing this on is having really good visualization with the fluorescence. And we did do some experiments where we would do multiple rounds of sterilization and the fluorescence would drop. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. I would imagine that it probably that material, it's going to be a special type of material um, that you probably rather not disclose what exactly that is, because that's your proprietary that's a, yeah, feature. A... Um, <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people always, right? There, That's a, probably one of the biggest arguments in medical device. It's like reusable or single use, you know, which direction do you go? And it's a tough decision to make, you know, with all the environmental impacts too. Um, but patient safety is incredibly important. So if it's going to, you know, hurt 
performance over time, yeah, it's not the right move. And if it can't be properly sterilized, right, then it also isn't yeah. the right move. And at the end of the day, you got to make it's about the patient to your point that you made even earlier. So um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so in terms of like that now expanding the product development, where are you with taking forward what has it been a prototype to that next stage of development? So I am so proud to let you know, Richard, that we have completed all of our FDA hurdles or requirements, and we are now in commercial production, and we will be poised to sell in a month, really less than a month. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations, because Thank yeah, that's a huge, <laughs> a huge milestone to get to. It's been, a, it's been a journey for sure. And this is the sweet part, you know, this is the sweet part because We've been showcasing our device at different um, like anatomical education sessions. And one of the things that I love is seeing the surgeon turn on the near infrared for the first time and seeing our device fluoresce. They're like, wow. Okay, I get it now. But you, their face, I want to make a montage of everyone's just like surprised face <laughs> when they see it for the first time because it's really interesting. Yeah, hello, the the marketing guy over here. That's exactly what I was thinking, right? That's what everyone wants to see. That first reaction from a doctor or surgeon, no doubt, Paul. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, so the feedback has been really good. And, and I just can't wait to get out and share it because I know that it's helped me personally. And I'm extremely confident that it's going to help every surgeon that I show it to. Yeah, and so looking on your website, I think you've had some really cool partnerships. So maybe one of you, you could talk a little bit more about some of the success stories that you've had when you've been developing the product. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of partnerships. Uh, right from the beginning, I told you about the University of Rochester and then incubators. Incubators have been terrific. I, I mean, that's how we started. And the other thing that it's okay to belong to more than one incubator. Some people think there needs to be a, there's a lot that they all do and it's good. I, I belong to three different ones and they've been extremely helpful. Uh, Venture Creations in Rochester and then there's um, Central New York Biotech Accelerator in Syracuse, which has been wonderful as well. And then we've also been, um, well, M2D2 working with you guys. And then Stortz has been a great partner for us as well. They have been doing co-marketing with us. And um, we've just recently, we're at St. Louis University at PACE, which is the uh, practical anatomy and surgical education department there, where they, they believe in education. As I do, you know that I am just a bred academic. And so education, education is so important. And, and we love the opportunity to go into these anatomy type situations and let the experts use our devices to teach others how to do surgery better. So you, I couldn't do this without my partners. And, and Paul, how many years have you guys been at this for, by the way, you know, because we know it, it takes time to develop. I know that's a little bit of a painful question, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Gotta ask though, it's common. <laughs> That's medical device. You know? I know, but you know, people will tell you it takes twice as long and twice as much money. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it took like three times as long and three times as much money. 
But yeah, the patent was originally in 2017. That's when it was filed. That's when I did my national disclosure type with the um, uh, when I presented it at one of our meetings. And then I would say it became a company when my partners came on in 2018. So yeah, it's been six, five, six years that is, we've been is, at and is that a Is that a 510k path? You know, we're class one 510k exempt because the predicate device is a handheld non-powered manipulator. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Right. I Like I said, I believe in keeping things simple. <laughs> and I can keep see though simple. why you were probably hoping to, it was going to be maybe a shorter time to market, right? Because of that. Um, but I think it's just really important that, you know, everyone out there listening understands the reality, no matter how simple you might think it is, right? It's just, it's never, it's never that easy. But I think it it also is a testament to, you know, FDA healthcare system providers out there wanting to, to make sure that, hey, if we're going to bring you know, a new technology, allow a new technology to come to market. We want to make sure it's going to be safe and effective. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act there, but. Yeah. I mean, we have to have good quality companies and good quality instruments. There's no doubt, but I'm also really thankful for my like naivete where I just didn't believe Hmm. people because (laughs) maybe if, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done this if I, if I had, believed what people told me. And I was like, oh, we'll do it. It's not a problem. We can take, we can do this. So I'm really glad that, I don't know. I'm just really glad. Well, you know, it sounds though, like your, your passion and background was going to, you know, inspire you and drive you and motivate you no matter how long it took, even with you saying that. But, um, now, now you're here, right? Your product is about to go into the, the market and your focus on on scaling, right, and innovation. What does that look like? What does the future look like for building this company? And then also maybe, you know, you mentioned that you know you selfish selfishly developed this product, right, to help you and your patients in your specific procedures. But you know, from um, you know a future growth innovation standpoint, do you have any plans of expanding these technologies? Oh yeah. So one of the challenges has been avoiding all those shiny objects that flitter about and staying really focused on releasing this first device and getting some market validation, which is what we're going to be doing. But we do have a product roadmap because we were talking about this is plastic that can be injected into pretty much any shape as long as it's got clinical feasibility and importance to it. Um, So yeah, I do have another device in mind that is going to be even more applicable and I think is going to be terrific, really terrific. And this time I have the knowledge of like market analysis and like all these business things (laughs) that we didn't, I didn't have beforehand. So um, yes, there's a whole product roadmap within the pelvis, but every time I talk to a surgeon that is not in my specialty or in my area, they're always like coming up with all these ideas of how it could be used for this or this. And I don't even think about like the head, the nose, the chest, because that's just not what I look at all day. Um, So there's, there's definitely applications outside of my specialty. I love listening to this, Kyle, because you probably, you have such a logical way of thinking about this, you know, 
targeting is one key area as you, to get started, but then there's this possibility to expand into other areas. And I wondered when you think about motivation, like it's clear you're passionate and personally involved in this product. But like, how do you balance that as any founder is like under stress, work life? Like, what do you like to do outside of when you're developing a product and get away from Endigo? Um, Outside of, yeah, um, I like I like to clear my brain and I do that by running and swimming. That's what I do. And it's really valuable to me because sometimes I'll just say I'm too busy. I just can't do it. I'm too tired. I don't want to go today. And then if I get on a little like lazy streak, um, I notice that my productivity and my uh, attitude start to go down. And then once, you know, you start, once I start, you know, running again and swimming again, then I have a better attitude in general and my productivity increases. So it's, it's that so in itself has yeah. been a journey. <laughs> yeah, super like, relatable right right there. Totally relate to that, Kyle. I mean, 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah, you've got to keep those energy levels up and put some me time and some exercise time in there as well. For sure. Yeah. So um, we've covered a lot today. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of like the product development, you've done amazing things to get to where you are today. Um, but you know, how are you ensuring that you stay ahead? Because obviously there's a lot of competition. We look around, there's other solutions coming to market. Like for you, kind of what's that um, process for competing and staying ahead in the marketplace? Well, right now, so we are ahead because there's no other companies that have fluorescent medical devices. But you're right, that could change. What I would like to do is I would like to join a larger medical device company that has the infrastructure in place. I think that from conception to launch of our first product was long and the too long, but it's because we didn't have any of that infrastructure in place and we had to build it all and create it all. And I think if we could join a already established company with that infrastructure and expertise in place, then product number two, number three, number four would not take six or seven years to come out. Um, and that way, the, the benefits of the fluorescence imaging and these great surgical systems that are already out there will be felt more readily and by more people as well. So that's really how I see our company is, um, is, is, is collaborating with larger companies that have the infrastructure in place. Well, that's a great shout out. So I'm sure for anyone listening, then here's an opportunity for you. Um, <laughs> and again, you've covered so many great things today. I wondered if you had any final kind of leading thoughts or advice for any other aspiring entrepreneurs or innovators based on your process developing the Endable product. What sort of information would you like to share? Um, I guess the biggest thing that I could say is just believe that you can do it and it will happen and don't worry about all the negatives chatter that you hear and that goes on really put on the blinders yes <laughs> but really surround good. yourself with people that know more than you do right people always say that and i believe it to be so true is just surround yourself with people that are diverse from you with your the skill set and that are also smarter than you it always helps fantastic paula this was awesome what a story <laughs> what a technology can't thank you enough and congratulations on everything you know we're so excited for you and endoglow and your company and 
you know, everyone at, at your company that we've met, you know, at the impact program. Um, so you guys are doing a remarkable job and we uh, can't thank you enough for, you know, your selfless efforts to help improve and save lives and provide safer, better surgical outcomes. So thanks for joining us today. And thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. And we do have one thing to, to ask. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how should they do this? Our website is endoglow.com. So it's E-N-D-O-G-L-O-W.com. And then we have email and everything on there if someone wants to reach out. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. We're bringing our show to a close, Kyle. It's been another fantastic episode. That's right. It sure was. So um, also, thank you, everyone, for listening in today. Real pleasure. Uh, I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And until next time, keep innovating. <laughs>